Good morning, everybody. My name is Glenn Wolf. I'm one of the pastors here at City Church, and it's good to see everybody this morning, especially our dads. Happy Dad's Day. I know we've already applauded you a couple times, but I feel like I can't not do it here on Father's Day. Can we put our hands together? Give our dads a huge hand. And love you guys. I'm really honored to speak to you today, and I also want to give a shout out to my dad, uh, Dan Wolf. He is unbelievable. He's probably watching online. I think he's going to try and come this third service, but uh, I know my brother, I have two brothers, Tom and Tim, we're just so honored to have our, our father. And fun fact about my dad, uh, he has never once gone back on his word in my entire life. I, I, I could not tell you one time that he's ever not done something that he said he would do. And I don't know that about really anybody. And so uh, I just, his integrity and character is incomparable. And I'm just uh, so honored Honored to be his son. Love you, Dad, if you're watching. Uh, and I'm, I'm excited to end this series today on the book of Acts. And we're going to end in Acts chapter 19, verse 1. So can you turn your Bibles there? If you don't have one, we'll be on the screen today. Acts chapter 19, verse 1. And I've entitled this message this morning, A Move of God. A Move of, of God. And I have a key thought that I love us to memorize by the end of today, is that if you want God to move... Or if you want a move of God, you have to let God move. Let me say it again. If you want a move of God, then let God move. Let's say it again. If you want a move of God, then let God, then let God move. If, if we're really serious about a move of God, then we've got to be serious about letting God move in our lives. And so I'm really honored to, uh, to share this tonight or th- this morning. I just feel like God's just going to, do a work in your heart. I've been praying for you all week. So let's go ahead and pray as we open up. Father, we thank you, God, for this moment. We thank you for your word. I thank you that, God, you, want, you, aren't, you really want to do a work in every single life that's in this room. And it's not by accident that we're here. It's not by accident that we're listening online or maybe we're watching this on podcast or however we might be hearing this message today. You have ordained it. And, Lord, we pray that you would be in it and that, God, we would forever be changed. In Jesus' mighty name. Somebody said amen. It was uh, 3.30 in the morning, 3.30 in the morning, uh, in the cool of night, after a long day's work, uh, I am cuddled up in a great position on our king-sized bed. The room is pitch black, the way I like it, covered up with house uh, shades and curtains, double protection, and all you can hear is the sound of my fan slaving away to keep the temperature just right. And it was at 3.30 in the morning that my bedroom light decided to uh, embrace me with its luminosity. And it was at 3.30 in the morning that I thought to myself, one of two things are happening right now. Number one, Jesus has returned. Because that's the only reason why that bright of a light would be happening in my bedroom at 3.30 in the morning. Or the second thing is that uh, Natalie is going into labor because it was at, on November 7th at 3.30 in the morning that my wife was nine months pregnant with our firstborn son. And as I brought the covers over my head, come on, dads, just hoping that it's just, I don't know, you know, secluding myself from any movement that's chattering outside of my, in my room at 3.30 in the morning, I all of a sudden get the tap. Anybody know what the tap is? There's certain taps that your significant other can make, that you immediately know what that tap is, right? And for my wife and I, it's, it's the double tap. Okay, there's the one tap where it's like, you know, that's normal stuff. But when I get the, 
I know that means something different than anything else. And maybe that's a Puerto Rican thing. I'm not sure. But uh, I've only had one wife and she's Puerto Rican. So that's all I know. And I got the double tap and immediately I knew what that meant. My covers fly off the bed. I start running around. I mean, we already got the GPS loaded. We're trying to, you know, we've already got the bags packed. I mean, our day has been coming. And remember, this is our first kid. We have no idea what we're doing. We're panicking, nervous, right? And uh, so we're running around. And, and the whole time, all I could think was, we're having a baby. We're having a baby. We're having a baby. I'm like looking at her. I'm like, we're having a baby. She's like, I know. I'm feeling it right now, you know. And uh, we're driving. It's 3.30 in the morning. I'm like, even though I have the GPS, I'm like second-guessing the GPS. I'm like, I don't think it's right. We need to do something else, you know, because I don't know if we can get there. And, and even though we've mapped it out, and we get in there, and 3.30 in the morning, she gets there about 4.15 or so. And, and at 9.48 that night, uh, our very firstborn son entered the earth, and his name is Ethan Wolf, and he's a mighty man of God. I only know that because he drops big things in his diaper. And only mighty men of God can do that. It's the only thing I can think of. Hey, it's Dad's Day, all right? So I can say what I want because I'm a dad. And uh, I have a blog that I write stuff on every once in a while. And on that blog, I just a couple weeks later, as I got my thoughts together, really simple, but I just shared a blog about I'm a father. And you can go look at it later if you want. But I want to share just a, maybe just a glimpse of it today, uh, since it is Dad's Day and since it just kind of makes sense in this season. Uh, let me just share with you what I thought as I, uh, a- after uh, having Ethan. I said this, words can't describe the feelings I felt seeing my son for the first time. Yes, I just said my son. Going through the travail of childbirth was exhausting, but extremely rewarding. Notice I said exhausting. I didn't say painful because it, was it wasn't very painful for me. It was just exhausting. Watching the girl I fell in love with, which is now the wife that I've committed my life to, give birth to my first son immediately brought tears to my eyes. I did not expect to find myself crying, but that was what happened. The first three minutes of my son's life consisted of me simultaneously wiping tears from my eyes, taking a picture every three seconds, and giving fist pumps in the air as if I had won the NBA Finals. I'm cracking up right now even thinking about it. And as I sat in that delivery room holding my son for the first time, I could not stop thinking of God's love for us. We're not just his people. We're his children. And now that I have a few minutes to collect my thoughts, I went on to talk about four thoughts I had on on being a new dad. And one of them, if I could show you, is I just, the last thought was I just said, you know, dear God, not my will, but your will be done in my son's life. And if you know me, if you've been around me, I'm quite a planner. I got five-year plans, 25-year plans, 50-year plans. If you need one, just take one off my shelf and you can use it. Um, And so it's very easy for me to kind of approach my son's life with my agenda. And I just realized in that moment as I I had a a son, I thought, man, the best thing I can do as his earthly father is to let his heavenly father decide what what God's called him to do. And and can I just just kind of parallel that to what I want to share with you today? Um, Because when I approach my son as a father, I don't want to just have a good relationship. I don't want to just get through life. I don't want to just have the 2.5 kids and the white picket fence or whatever. I want a move of God in my son. I want a move of God in my boy. I want to see God anoint my son to change the nation. I want to see God do a work in my family that I can't imagine. 
I want to see God do what the Bible says in Ephesians 3.20, that he would do exceedingly and abundantly more than he could ever hope or imagine, that I could ever hope, dream, or imagine. I want to see that for my family, and I want to see that for you. And I want to see that for your marriage. And I want to see that for your family. And I want to see that for your school. I want to see that for your job. I want to see that for this city. I don't want this city just to go through life. I want to see this city see a move of God. But if we want a move of God, then we've got to let God. Are you getting it? We're we're coming together. Come on. Can I preach to you today? Am I in the right room this morning? Come on. We don't just want to get through life. We want to see God do a work in our hearts. Man, I want to see God do a work in my hearts. And even just after I just heard this thing, of course, everybody's heard about this tragedy in Charleston. We need a move of God, church. Come on. Man, this Trayvon Martin thing, just a few, not even long ago, it's still fresh in our minds. We need a move of God. We don't just need to do church. We don't just need to have seats and hand out bulletins and worship uh, and, and get into some type of worship service. We need a move of God in our lives, not something that we fabricate, not something that we, that we try to duplicate. We need a fresh move of God in our church. And I want that in your life. And if you don't get anything else today, I pray that you're walking out of here going, I'm not accepting anything less than a move of God in my life. Because if I'm a son of God, and if he's given me his spirit, it's wrong for me to expect anything less it's it's like it's it would be it would be absurd for the father that i serve for him to give me life to give me breath to put salvation over my soul and to put his spirit in my heart for me not to believe god for great things in my city and in my family come on i want a move of god but if i want a move of god then i've got to let god let god move and acts chapter 19 is is, is a move of God right in front of us in this chapter. And it is so good. It is so rich. I can't even read the whole thing to you because I will go crazy. It will be here for three hours, all right? So just for your sake and for me staying on the platform as long as possible without starting to do some type of weird chant, uh, I, I, I'm going to give you some portions of Scripture here found in Acts chapter 19. But let me set this scene up for you just for a second. Paul is in his third missionary journey, and he's headed to Rome. And on the way to Rome, which is where he really wants to get to, he passes through Ephesus. And Ephesus is a demonic city. Uh, it's nothing like, like we, it's very demonic. It's not only demonic, uh, it, it, it makes all of its money off of the selling of, de, of demonism, of sorcery, of witchcraft. It whole, its whole monetary system is built on demonic activity. And Paul comes into Ephesus... And on the outside, it looks bleak. On the outside, it looks impossible for anything great to happen. But he gets this check in his spirit on the inside of him that something great could happen in this city. Apparently, he gets this check in his system like, you know what? It's not just that I don't want to just get through Ephesus. I want to see God move in Ephesus. And so we pick up here in verse 1 of Acts chapter 19. Look what the Bible says. While Apollos was at Corinth... Paul took the road through the interior and arrived at Ephesus. There he found some disciples and asked them, Did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? They answered, No, we have not even heard that there is a Holy Spirit. Now let me pause just for a second. Now think about this. Paul sees an opportunity for a move of God to happen in his city. And the very first thing that he's concerned with is whether the believers in the city are filled with the Holy Spirit. 
we have to dissect this text for a moment here. He could have been uh, consumed with a lot of things. He could have been, hey, what's our strategy? Hey, what's our one-year plan? Hey, where are all the leaders at? Hey, how much money do we have? Hey, how is all this going to work out? But his number one concern was whether they had been filled with the Holy Spirit. Here's the question is why? Why would that be his number one concern? Because Paul knew that a move of God can never take place outside of a move of his spirit. And if you're writing down any notes, you can just say move of God equals a move of his spirit. And we have this on the screen right now. A move of man, I just, I, uh, I wanted to highlight this. A move of man will never change the heart of a man. But a move of God can change the heart of every man. You're, you're a dad right now. You cannot change, you cannot save your son. You can't. You in your own might. And your own power, you cannot save your kid. Only God can change your son or your daughter's heart. No one else. And we have to, we have to wrestle with that. And so if we want a move of God, we have to understand that it's a move of his spirit. Zechariah chapter 4 verse 6, God speaks to the prophet Zechariah concerning his people as they're, as they're entering into a really difficult season in their life, as they're, they have something in front of them that seems impossible, something that's way bigger than them. And God says to the prophet Zechariah, and I believe this can speak to you today, he says, listen, you are going to overcome this. And somebody may just need to hear that today. Maybe you're going through some difficulties. I want to tell you today, you are going to get through this. You are going to overcome it. And he says, not by my might, nor by power, but by my spirit, God says to us. You know what God is saying here? He's saying that his spirit is more powerful than your power. And his spirit is more mighty than your might. And his spirit is more powerful than your might and power put together. His spirit is the only thing that can do what God is calling us to do. And so if we want to move of God, then we've got to let God move. And it's not just letting God move, but it's allowing his spirit to move through us today. I don't know about you, but I want to see a move of God in my city. I want to see a move of God in my family. And I want to see a move of God happen in your life. Paul also goes on to say in 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 20. Now, let me, let me uh, give you a little bit of background here. So Paul wrote the book of Corinthians while he was in Ephesus. So during the three years that he was in Ephesus, in the middle of this move of God, he's pinning the words that we know now as 1 Corinthians. And right in the middle of this, look at what he says. For the kingdom of God is not a matter of talk, but of power. When the spirit of God moves, it's not just a matter of talk. It's a matter of power. Zechariah said, not by might, nor by your own power, but by my spirit, says the Lord. And Paul goes on to say, it's not a matter of talk. You know, the devil wants to keep you in your own might and your own power talking about what could be. But God is calling you to lean into his spirit and his power, prophesying what will be. You know, prophesying means just being speaking forth the word of the Lord. Getting the word of God rich up in your spirit. Getting the word of God on a daily basis in your life. Just starting to saturate you. The Bible says that as we 
feed upon the word. We're literally feeding upon the word of life, right? And I want to tell you, listen, the enemy wants to keep you just, just attend church. No problem. Just, just kind of fill a seed and, and do some, do some good things, but don't surrender over to his spirit. And don't let him have a move of God in your life. Just keep yourself in your own strength. Keep yourself in your own power. Keep yourself in your own ability. Don't lean and tap into what he has for you. But I'm telling you, God has another word for you. And we're seeing it right here in the city of Ephesus. And I'm telling you, if you want to see a move of God, then you've got to let God move. And what I love about Jesus is that he's an equal opportunity employer. It doesn't make a difference who you are. It doesn't make a difference your background. It doesn't make a difference how many mistakes you've made. It doesn't make a difference what you think or who's your, whose last name you have or where you were or what you've done. If you come to Jesus and say, God, I surrender. God, I'm laying it down and I want you to move. I promise you, God will move in your life. If you agree with me, just say amen to that. And so verse 3, so Paul asks, he said, then what baptism did you receive? They said, John's baptism. Paul said, John's baptism was a baptism of repentance. He told the people to believe in the one coming after him, that is, in Jesus. And on hearing this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. And when Paul placed his hands on them, the Holy Spirit came on them, and they spoke in tongues and prophesied. And there were about 12 men in all. Now, I want you to get this at this moment. There's a city full of wickedness, and there's only 12 people that are now full of his spirit. But three years later, there's a city that's full of his spirit, and just a few that are full of his wickedness. Because what? Because 12 men, let me, let me even back it up, because one man and Paul came to a city and wanted God to move and let God move. He came on God's agenda. He came and he wanted to get to Rome, but God had another plan in Ephesus. And he lays hands on 12 young men, and they surrender over to God, and they let God move. And three years later, the city of Ephesus literally is in a riot because their finances don't even make sense anymore because of all that God has done in their city. Can I tell you that if God did it in that city, he can do it in our city. And if he did it in those men, he can do it in our men. And he preached the gospel to them. And, and, and Acts 19 is unbelievable. Let me just paraphrase it real quick because I don't have enough time to go through it all. But Paul, they, they, he lays hands on these 12 men. And then he gets up in the synagogue and he starts preaching. And if you're there in Acts chapter 19, you can just kind of follow along with me and I'll go through it real fast. And he, he preaches in the synagogue and you know what happens? He preaches the gospel and uh, they become obstinate. They don't want to listen to it. Now, let me just, we need to pause just for a moment and learn from this. You know what? Sometimes when you preach the gospel, people don't respond to it in a good way, but people will always respond to it. Because the gospel always demands a response. When we understand that God has created us and that we have sinned against him and that our sin is leading us to an eternal hell. But God sent his son Jesus to pay for our sin. That whoever believes in him will not perish. That God will cover them. That God will save them. That God will redeem them and bring them back to what he originally created them to do. When we understand that every person in this room and in that room had to make a decision. They had to make a response. And if you're here today and you're listening to these words, or maybe you're on podcast, I'm telling you the gospel right now. And I'm telling you that Jesus came to save you from your sin. And he's extending his grace to you. And if you would receive him as your Lord and Savior, he will forgive you and redeem you. And if you don't, your blood is on your own hands. That is the truth of the gospel. And some people that makes their heart heart, their, their heart hard. And some people, their hearts open up to it. And in this case, their hearts were hard to it. 
But us as believers, we cannot stop proclaiming the gospel. We cannot stop talking about the good news of Jesus because we do not know when the day is going to come when their hard hearts will open up. And many in this room, your hearts were hard for many years before God opened up you and and you received the salvation. If God has changed your life, would you give him a praise offering even right now? If he has, that's you. He's opened up your heart. Come on. And so he preaches the gospel, and they're obstinate. Their hearts are hard, but he doesn't give up. He, he goes to his friend Tyrannus, his house. It's a lecture hall, and so he keeps preaching for two to three years. And then the Bible goes on in Acts chapter 19, and there were, there were healings, like crazy healings. Like, like uh, Paul's handkerchiefs, literally his sweatbands around his waist, uh, they would take them and they would rip off little pieces, and they would hand them out to people, and whoever touched them was healed. I mean, crazy stuff is happening here in Acts chapter 19. And then, uh, this is a crazy story, but there's these seven sons of Siva. And they were Jewish exorcists. And so they see what's happening in this move of God and they want in. And so they come and, uh, and so they, they start, they're like, you know what? We're going to go find some demon-possessed people. So they start going, don't go and find demon-possessed people, by the way. Just don't do that. That's not smart. And they, so they start trying to find somebody and they walk over and they go, in the name of Jesus, whom Paul preaches, I cast you out in the name of Jesus, right? And if you know the story, the demon-possessed person looks back at him and goes, hold on, what? Um, I know who Jesus is, and I know who Paul is, but who are you? You know what they were trying to do? They were trying to execute God's plan without his power. They wanted God to move on their terms. But if we want to move of God, we have to let him move on his terms. And it's through surrender. And it's through relationship. And it's through grace. And it's through him coming into our hearts and doing a work in us. And they, they tried to go there and it didn't work. And if you know the, the story, not only did it not work, but the demon-possessed person ends up beating them up, leaving them naked in the street. And the Bible says that great fear seized the whole land. And, uh, and out of that, in verse 17, it says, The name of Jesus was honored. The name of Jesus went up. And man, people started confessing sin, and it was unbelievable. And by the end of Acts chapter 19, the whole city is in a riot because this one man, Paul, through the Holy Spirit, came in three years earlier to a wicked city, is now a righteous city. And they've got to change their whole way of doing money. They've got to change their whole way of doing business, all because there was a group of believers that let God move. What could God do in our city? And if he did it then, he can do it now. Am I in the right house today? Something I say to our students often, this has been a prayer for mine for at least the last five years. And I pray this maybe like once every six weeks in our youth ministry. I get them up together and I say, you guys are the light of the world. I'll say something like, man, the future's in you. Come on, you're going to do it and encourage them. You know what I tell them? And I, I know Mike knows this and any students that are in the room. I say, my prayer is that one day MTV is completely changed because of what happens in this room at 650 East Airport Boulevard, Sanford, Florida, through these group of students. My prayer is that there would be such a move of God that what we reward at the MTV Music Awards completely shifts from this immoral, whatever you want to call it, to this godly, righteous character. My prayer is not that MTV would cease. I just want it to change. I'm not talking about ceasing TV. I'm talking about MTV promoting different values because of what God's done in the hearts of our people. That's my prayer for our students. I just, so if you're unclear about what we're trying to do here, 
uh, we're not trying to just have a little youth group. And if you're unclear about what we're trying to do on Sunday morning, we ain't trying to just do church. And if you're trying to do church, you don't last very long here. There's a lot of churches out there. We want to see a city saved. We want to see a move of God. We want to see it happen in our hearts. And in verse 17 says this, this is unbelievable. Remember, because if you want a move of God, you got to let God. Oh, you're good. You guys are smart. Smarter than the last class. Don't tell them that. Verse 17, let me just uh, end with this. When this became known to the Jews and Greeks living in Ephesus, they were all seized with fear. In the name of the Lord, Jesus was held in high honor. You know, it doesn't say that they sang songs. It doesn't say that they gathered together. It doesn't say it looked like they, that Jesus was held in high honor. It says the name of Jesus was held in high honor. And we can sing songs in a church on Sunday morning and still not held his name on high honor. And that's a check for every person in this room. Are we holding the name of Jesus in high honor? Is his name above every other name in our lives? Or is it just songs that we're singing while other people sing those songs and mean them? Where are we yet in our, in our spirit? And they said the name of Jesus was held in high honor. And I love this. Ah, a number who practiced, or, or, I'm sorry, verse 18. Many of those who believed now came and openly confessed what they had done. A number who had practiced sorcery brought their scrolls together and burned them publicly. And when they calculated the value of the scrolls, the total came to about 50,000 drachmas. 50,000 drachmas is speculated to be about a million dollars in today's money. was burned in the open public. Now just get this scene for a second. You got that dad or that mom or that family together and they're bringing out sorcery. Literally the stuff that made their retirement plan happen. And because of what Jesus has done in their hearts, they're laying it out in this open fire, saying, I declare today that Jesus is God. I declare today that Jesus is the way. I believe today. And there was this move of God. You know what happened? Because they let God move. They let him move. What a scene. So you're here today. And you're right here in your seat. And uh, you have your season, you've got your circumstances. Maybe you're married, maybe you're not, maybe you're a kid, maybe you've just gotten in a, in a relationship, maybe you just got out of a relationship. I don't know where you might be today. Uh, maybe you're here, you're just trying to raise your kids, you're trying to get pay the bills this week, you're trying to get through life, whatever you might be getting through. And you say, what does this have to do with me? Well, let me just implore you today. How about whatever you're in right now, how about... We not just raise our kids, but how about we believe God to have a move of God in our kids? How about, how about, how about instead of just you having a marriage, how about we pray that God would do a supernatural work in your, in your marriage? How about if we're going to go to school, students, as we're in summer right now and enjoying our time off, as we get back in, in the fall, how about we not just go to school? How about we believe God for a move of God in, in school? Come on, am I in the right house today? Come on. Uh, that's, I pray that we would believe this with our hearts. But if we want God to move, then we have to let him, let him move. And, and here's, here's a question for you. Um, what's in the way of you, of God moving in your life? What's in the way? If you notice in verse 19 and 20, they literally were throwing down idols. 
What idols do you have in your life today that's hindering the work of God in your life? You know, if you're married, you can make your spouse an idol. You know what an idol is? It's just anything that you worship that's above God. And if you care more about what your spouse thinks than what God thinks, it's a sin. It's sin. It's wrong. And when we confess those sins, the Bible says he's faithful and just to forgive us. He'll cleanse us. He'll give us a righteousness. And there's not this fabricated Christian life. We're not trying to fake it and try to do this stuff. We're just being open. And God does a work in our hearts. Maybe it's money. Maybe money dictates everything you do. That's an idol. You've made it a God. And if we want to move of God, we need to let God move. And when he comes in, everything rearranges to his power. And coming to Christ is not so that he can just save us from our sins, so that he can become our king and live and rule and reign in our hearts and be number one in us. I know this may be a, 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 maybe a hard message or whatever, but it's just the truth. And, and I, I, if, I, if I honestly care about your family, and if I honestly care about your marriage, I would not tell you anything less. You want to see a move of God in your heart? Listen, I can preach it, and I could get around here and do all these. I could, I could do, we could have had a bunch of props up here, and we could have done a bunch of stories or whatever. But the truth is, you have to let God move. I was just talking to a couple in the back, and uh, we talked before service, and they're in, they're in this service. They have 15 young people that want to come to church on a Wednesday night. And uh, they, they only have one car. They said, we can only take three. So can we figure out how to get them there? I said, yeah, we will. You know why those 15 young people are going to start attending our, our youth group? Because they're letting God move. There's an opportunity that came right in front of them. And they go, you know what, God, I think you're doing something here. We've got to step out. And even, you know what this means? They're giving up their Wednesday nights to drive kids, teenagers. That's not fun. That means your car is going to be dirty always. Come on, it's a sacrifice. It's not easy. It's gas. It's time. It's easier just to have Wednesday night off. There's probably some great TV shows. It's probably great, you know, there's probably some great stuff that they could have done. They could have gone on a date that night or whatever, but they want to see a move of God. And so they're letting God move. And so you're here, and, and, uh, and maybe you're a dad. You're a man. You're addicted to pornography. Let God move. Come on, let's see a move of God. You listen, listen. His grace and His power can absolutely, one moment of his grace, one word spoken over you can absolutely stop that. And you say, I can't do it in my own might. That's what I'm preaching today. I can't, I can't change everything you're asking me to change. That's what I'm preaching today. You're right. We can't, but he can. And if we would surrender over to him, he will do a work in our hearts. Would you stand to your feet all across this place and would you go ahead and bow your heads and close your eyes? And I want to give you a moment here, right here, right now, to do some business with God. Every head bowed and every eye closed. Man, if we want God to move, then we've got to let God, let Him move. God, we want you to move in our hearts.